What do you see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? I know this morning what I heard at 6.30 this morning. I was already awake, so it was not the opening refrain of my first few moments awake, but I did hear an electric guitar being played at 6.30 this morning. Somebody decided that 6.30 would be a good time to learn how to play the electric guitar. I'll leave it to your imagination who that may have been. (laughs) You're right, it was my wife. (laughs) But what do you see? What do you see? The first several chapters of the book of Joshua describes the long-awaited entrance into the promised land by the Israelites. And this uh, initial entry begins on the other side of the Jordan. Of course, we know that ultimately it began hundreds of years before with promises and, and then the exodus out of Egypt and then approaching the promised land and not having the faith to enter into the promised land. And so years of wandering ensue. And now we find the Israelites now beginning to enter the promised land for the first time, but seeing it for the second time. And the initial entry begins on the other side of the Jordan and culminates in the battle of Jericho. And after Jericho, city after city would quickly fall under the fast advancing Israelites of their uh, uh, fighting and, of course, their God. While there would be many other battles besides the battle of Jericho. Jericho was not the only battle fought. There would be many others that would take place after to accomplish the promised land being completely taken. It is remembered, however, and it's given such a length of description in in Scripture, both because it was the first city captured in the promised land and also because, of course, we know the nature of the battle. There's very few that don't know on some level the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Many of us know that story, famous, made famous in Sunday school classes the world over. The Israelites are encamped and awaiting Joshua to come and give them the battle plan. These are people that are not really that used to fighting. And here is Joshua. They're waiting on their leader. The transition from Moses to Joshua has taken place. And this is the first real test, if you will, of what kind of leader Joshua will be. And they sit there uh, in camp, being able to see Jericho, and yet wondering how they are going to accomplish what God has called them to do. Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to see both the physical and mental state of those who are living inside the city walls. There they encounter the harlot Rahab, who reveals uh, to the spies that the Israelites and their God is still remembered over 40 years, and they still remember the God that parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. They remember the escape that God has already provided. The, The reputation has proceeded the Israelites, and then she proceeds to hide them as soldiers come searching for the spies and letting them, uh, eventually letting them down outside the city wall from the window of her house. And she is left with a scarlet thread to hang in her window to, as a remembrance that her house would not be destroyed. And God reveals the battle plan to Joshua finally. And here it is, march once around the city for six days. 
On the seventh day, march around seven times. And on that last time around, you are to raise a shout for the Lord. The trumpets will be blown. The people will shout in praise and victory to God. And the people follow these odd commands, these odd battle plans. And on the seventh time, on the seventh day, once it is finished, they let up a great shout. And we know the walls of Jericho fall down flat. And most of us, many people know the salient points, the main points of the battle of Jericho. They know about the walls falling down flat, the the shout being uh, uh, given at the end. They may know about the spies and all that, but that's the highlights of the story. And you know as well as I do that life does not take place just in the highlights of life. Just in the big moments, we know that there's a lot of uh, life that's lived in between those big moments. In fact, a lot of times we read the start and we read the end, but we know that life really happens in the middle. That that is where the start uh, is made use of, and that is where the end find its beginning is in the middle, if you can sort all that out. And there's a wealth of lessons for us in the details leading up uh, until that moment when the walls of Jericho fall down flat. Now it is important for us to understand what confronted the Israelites in terms of Jericho itself. Jericho, this is some of the archaeology, and Jericho is counted as the world's oldest continually inhabited city, possibly being inhabited from around the time of 9000 BC. It's a pretty old place. Surprisingly, the population of Jericho is smaller than you may have assumed. Of course, we all know about the walls, the mighty walls, and so we assume that it was this large place. But living inside those walls of Jericho, most people estimate that there were no more than 3,000 people living inside of Jericho. It was not known for its population. It was known for its walls. The size of Jericho was roughly between 6 to 10 acres. So 3,000 people living in 10 acres or less. But we know the most prominent feature of Jericho was not its size physically or its population. It was its walls. And the walls were famous before the walls fell. There were other cities that had defenses at this time. But Jericho seemed to be almost a landmark because of their construction. They were known for their walls. It was when you mentioned Jericho, you thought about the walls. It was a synonymous term, Jericho and the walls. And and archaeology and different things, they estimate uh, roughly how those walls were built. And the walls would start, the whole process of what the walls looked like would start with an embankment. And so there would be a a, a rise in the ground that was made. And then on top of that rise, they built the first wall, the first line of defenses. And this first wall was anywhere between 10 and 20 foot high on top of that embankment. And after that, there was a short space and another embankment started. And at the top of this second embankment was a second wall of similar height to the first. And of course, we don't know exactly, but if you were to stand on the ground at the base of the first hill and look up and, and look up at all the walls and embankments, that you would be looking up at something that was between 40 to 60 feet high. That was the walls of Jericho for 3,000 people. It would be like standing and looking at a city that was surrounded by a four to six story building do we even have any of those in Salem I'm kidding no I'm not (laughs) but see this city was built for a reason 
The walls were there for a reason. This city was built to survive a siege. That was one of the most tested and proved battle tactics during this time is that you would come and simply lay siege to somebody. Just like your kids lay siege to your will, that is a tested and an age-old battle plan. They just wait you out. They just wait till your supplies run out. They just wait till you quit saying no and finally say yes because you're tired of it. It's a siege of the mind. They do things like play the guitar at 6.30 in the morning to mess up your mind. And as we look at the city, we see that if someone was to attack Jericho, then any attack would have to be constantly going up, which I don't know if you've, if you've studied battle plans, you probably don't need to study too much to know that the worst place to be is on the low ground trying to take the high ground. And in taking Jericho, you would constantly have to be going up. We find that the captain of the heavenly host appears to Joshua. And he also states that as well as the walls, once you get inside the walls, there's many mighty men of valor within the city as well. Jericho not only had the walls of defense, but it had warriors inside waiting too for the Israelites. To, uh, to compound this even more, we find that one of the key things when you would lay siege to a city was to find the water supply. There was many, there's uh, different stories in scripture even and then throughout history where uh, an army would come and lay siege and they would try to find the water source. They would try to block it up. They would try to close up and fill up all the wells. But Jericho had a well inside of their city walls. And so it was impossible to cut Jericho's water supply off. It was a city built for a siege. They also had ample supplies within the city. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And as they bear that, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks at the time, all the time of harvest. This is the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River. And we find that the Jordan River is overflowing. And we know that that tells us that it's harvest time because the overflow of the river and harvest time were synonymous. So Jericho was in harvest time. They had gathered their crops. They were in the best position possible for a siege to happen. They had a well. They had walls. They had warriors. They had the harvest that was newly taken in. So we find all of this is facing the Israelites. The fact that the condition was in lets us know that Jericho had taken all of their harvest. So the Israelites approached Jericho. It's a place known for its defenses. It's a place built for a siege with an internal water source. Having just gathered in their harvest and with an army inside waiting just in case their walls were breached. And then there were the gates. There were the gates. The Targum, which is a Jewish historical document, states that the gates of, Jer of Jericho were made of iron and brass, something not too common in this time period. There wasn't a whole lot uh, of cities that were constructed this way, and so it wouldn't be uh, worth their while to storm the gates. How in the world was this going to happen? The start of Joshua chapter 6 gives us a little sidebar in a conversation that we'll look at in just a minute. But right in the middle, it gives us a sidebar into the condition of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. It was straightly shut up. It was bound tightly. <laughs> it, was, it was secured to the, to the max. 
The city, though, was built to be straightly shut up. It was built that way. It was not abnormal. It was built for what was about to happen, what they thought. It was built to have siege laid upon it. It was built that in the moment of worst distress that people could come and they could get in the city and they could straightly shut up the city. And I realize that Ahab has made comments in the passage about people being fearful and remembering and knowing the reputation of God in the Israelites. But I would like to submit to you that although the citizens of Jericho, although they were alarmed, although they knew the reputation, I would also say that they were also to some degree secure. You see, there was no better place if you lived in Jericho to be in that moment than in the city of Jericho. It was a secure place. Few towns or cities had better defenses, and they were exactly where they were supposed to be in the time of trouble. They were in the city, and it was straightly shut up because that was the most secure place to be. It was so firmly shut up that there was not only no hope of going in, but nobody was even coming out. And that lets us know that they didn't have to come out. They had water. They had food. They had all the provisions they need. They did not need to come out. We also find that they were secure in this sense, that while they may have been alarmed, nobody comes out to offer peace. Nobody comes out to offer surrender. Nobody came out and nobody went in. They were alarmed, but they were secure. They were content knowing that they could hold out for a while. They didn't offer peace. They didn't offer treaties. Again, this signifies the confidence in their city and in in its defenses. The city was shut up straightly the way it was supposed to be when under attack. Really, Jericho was at its strongest place and its strongest point when the Israelites come upon it. It's at harvest time. Everything has aligned for those people living in Jericho. If they were ever going to survive an attack, if they could ever plan out when and how it would happen, they would have planned it this way. And it's in this scene, it's upon this uh, uh, view of Jericho, of a city straightly uh, shut up, with all this knowledge that we have of Jericho and what it possessed and how it was constructed and the point of all that, that we find Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. We find Joshua alone contemplating the city. I don't know about you, but I probably would have been in that spot too. I would have got up by myself, gone somewhere, and just taken a look at that city. Everything that God had spoken to me, everything that Moses had said, the hundreds of years of history probably piling upon his shoulders, even though he knows God is in control, even though he knows all of this stuff, there is a city, an insurmountable task between him and the long-awaited promise. And behind him are thousands of people awaiting his answer. And he sees a man with a sword drawn. 
Now there's speculation about whether this was God appearing in some form or whether it says that it was the captain of the hosts of heaven, whether this was the archangel Michael, which I believe that it was. But the figure that he sees is dressed for battle. And he declares that he is the captain of the host of the Lord. And he states this after Joshua asks him. He sees a man with a sword drawn. He's about to enter into battle. He is in battle mode. He sees someone with a sword. He wants to know whose side he is on. And so he asks, are you for us or are you against us? And the, the, the man says to him, nay. <laughs> now... I've got one that likes to play the guitar at 6.30 in the morning. And I've got another who this is more appropriate to. I'll let you figure out which is which. How many of you have ever asked your kid a question? Is it this or this? And they answer something that is not relevant whatsoever to what you just asked. Are you for us or against us? No. For once, I didn't ask you a yes or no question, and you answered yes or no. If I'd asked you a yes or no question, you wouldn't have answered yes or no. He says, are you for us or are you against us? And he just says, nay. (laughs) This is very important for us to understand. Very important for us to to realize that, that the figure states that I'm not for you and I'm not for your enemy. I am for the Lord. I am on the Lord's side. And I just want to ask you, I know in the middle, I know between the highlights and all that, I know there's battles and there's hardships and there's all these different things and we get caught up in all of this stuff. But have you ever considered that there is a third side that is being fought for in your life? Have you ever considered that it's not just your way? It's not just the enemy's way, but there's something that's more powerful that is being fought for on your behalf. Let me tell you that God is fighting for himself, that he is fighting for his will, that he is fighting for his purpose, and God will fight for me, but I I better make sure that I'm on his side. I better make sure that I'm doing his will, that I'm doing his purpose. (laughs) I know what the songs are saying. I know when we sing them, and I don't have a problem with them, even though I do with some songs, and I'll tell you when I do, but we sing the songs and sometimes I think it's our mindset that begins to shift. We sing the song, God is fighting for me. God is on our side. Well, that's a pretty blanket statement because I'm fighting for a lot of things sometimes and they're not always what God wants. It's not a blanket statement. I'm not saying the, the, the song's wrong, but sometimes my mind takes that and says, well, God's fighting for whatever I want. If I go this way, God's fighting for me. It doesn't matter. No, you better make sure. If you want God to fight for you, you better make sure you're on his side. He doesn't need to get on your side. You need to get on his side. He won't just fight for us in a blanket way. In fact, I may get in the middle of a circumstance. I may get in the middle of a situation and I'm battling in my mind or I'm battling the circumstance and all of a sudden I catch a glimpse of God or an angelic being over there. And in my mindset, I turn and say, what do you want? Whose side are you on? And all of a sudden God says, no, (laughs) no. That's the moment when I need to stop and say, you know what? Whose side am I on? Am I on the Lord's side? I need to make sure that I'm fighting for his will, for his purpose, for his accomplishments. 
And Joshua, he has that mindset. He's asking. He wants to know. He has that desire to know whose side are you on. And let me tell you, Joshua has the correct response. When he discovers that God is not on the Israelite side, when God says that he's not on the side of Jericho, when he says that, Joshua has the exact response that when I find out I may not be in his will, I may not be in his purpose, that I may be looking somewhere else besides where God is. He falls down and he begins to worship because worship begins to align your heart with God. Worship begins to align your spirit with God's spirit. Worship begins to make God's direction your direction. So what do I do when I find out that God says no when I ask whose side he's on? I begin to worship God. I begin to praise his name. I begin to exalt his name because in that worship and through that worship, I can get on the same page as God you see because your worship declares whose side you are fighting on my worship makes a statement and we heard about it today in Sunday school that actions speak louder than words that I can't just say I love but I have to demonstrate that I love I can't just say I'm on God's side but my worship must declare whose side I'm on and let me just be honest sometimes I come into church and my worship plainly declares whose side I'm on sometimes it declares I'm on my own side and I'm looking out for how I feel and what I think and what I want to happen sometimes it's on the enemy's side and I decide I'm not going to do anything but all those moments when I come in and say I'm on the Lord's side I'm going to worship like I'm following him I'm going to give him praise like he's in control I'm going to state that I'm on his side (laughs) I want to make sure that my worship declares whose side I'm on the end of chapter 5 and 6 we find are really The end of chapter 5, the start of chapter 6 are a continuation of the same encounter. It's not a time passing or anything. It's the same conversation taking place. So I'm going to reread some of these verses and put them all together for you. We're talking about what are you looking at. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. What did he see? He saw the city. And then behold, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the Lord of hosts am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place where thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6, now Jericho was straightly shut up. This is the sidebar to explain all of this. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Here's a question that you can ponder this week that is not spiritual at all. What do you call the people that lived in Jericho? It's not a joke. I really don't know what to call them. The Jerichites? The Jerichoam, (laughs) the people from Jericho. Let's have an altar call right now and pray about it. This encounter leaves us, these verses leaves us with Joshua, the commander of the Israelites. Get this picture in your head. The commander of all the Israelites, the one with direction, about to enter into battle. It leaves Joshua standing barefoot, looking at an impossible city 
which is prepared for a long-term siege as well as any city could be. And he needs bare feet. That's disgusting. Joshua had been given commands from the very start. We find that when Joshua and Moses, this, in, this transition takes place that Moses speaks to Joshua and then God speaks to Joshua. And there's a, a phrase that's repeated throughout the first chapter to Joshua and then he repeats it to the children of Israel. And it says, be strong and of good courage. Moses tells, tells Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. Because Moses has come to the promised land. And he's seen the promised land. And what was the reason that they could not go in? Because they were not strong and they were not courageous. They saw the enemy as more numerous and bigger than foot wondering what is going on I would say at that moment that he is strong in faith that he is and see we take confusion to be doubt and I know God is not the author of confusion but it is possible to believe that God is able and that God can and I've been standing here before you told me to take my shoes off and I was looking and I see the same thing I see a city that's ready. I see a promise that is on the, the edge of not being accomplished. I, I believe God can, but look. Hmm. <laughs> you see, because if I was God, I would have scattered them all. I would have done something different. But instead, God has allowed them to get to the strongest point possible that they could get to. And then the angel says up and says, look, you have Jericho. Are you crazy? This this city couldn't be more well prepared. How is it supposed to be a victory already accomplished? It's not a question of faith. It's not a question of courage. It's not a question of promise and hope. The progression from fear not and be of good courage comes to, yes, you don't don't have to be afraid. Yes, you need to be of good courage. But I want to challenge what you are seeing today as well. That I need to start seeing things the way the Lord sees it. That I can have faith and still not see it the way God sees it. But oh, I pray that God would touch my eyes, that I could look on the city of Jericho and say, see, I have given into thy hand Jericho. Oh, that I could look on my circumstance. Oh, that I could look on my situation. And instead of seeing uh, something that cannot happen, I begin to see victory. I begin to see promise. I begin to see hope again. You can be unafraid and have faith in God, but still not see what God is doing. You can still not see what God has already done. The question is, what do you see today? (laughs) Nobody was coming out. Nobody was coming in. There was no activity. The gates were closed. (laughs) Someone needs to take this right now. I need to take this right now. The angel spoke to Joshua and said this. Let me paraphrase this for you. He said, nothing's happening. Nothing. You need to take nothing as the sign of victory. (laughs) Well, nothing's happening. (laughs) See? See? Look. Yeah, nothing's happening. Yeah, look. Look again. I need to see what God is seeing. The angel came and said, no activity by the enemy is a sign of victory. Those people in Jericho felt secure to themselves, and they probably looked secure to the Israelites. But God told them, you need to look at that situation, and you need to see it as a victory. That phrase, see, I have given into thy hand Jericho. The language used here, 
It, it, it suggests that there was a purpose already formed that was about to be carried out into immediate execution. That simply means that the idea of victory was already there. The first time that they laid a stone to build that wall, the purpose was already formed for victory. <laughs> and now, all that Joshua needed to see was not that there is a purpose, because the purpose is already formed, but what he needed to see was, it's time for the purpose to happen. It's not that the situation seemed so bad because God had a purpose the whole time. Through all the sickness, through all the situations in your life, there was a purpose that was formed the whole time. But now I just need to see that God's about ready to do something in the middle of my situation. I'm not waiting on God. He's already decided. I'm not waiting on the situation to resolve. No, it's already decided that victory has already been decided by him. You see, the purpose was a complete victory. The purpose was a promised land being inherited. And, and see, there was a reason that God allowed it to happen this way. I would have done it different. And we find God himself even doing it different at different times. But in the city that day were all the people of Jericho. And in fact, during a time of siege, all the surrounding areas would gather in Jericho. It was the gateway, if you would, to the promised land. With all of that, with all of Jericho, a place renowned for its defenses, a place where everyone would gather. God knew that if I can get everyone in Jericho, if I allow everyone to gather together, then all of a sudden the pathway to the promise will be open. The victory and the promise would be that much more assured. You see, God allowed it to get to that point, so the victory would be that much more complete. And let me submit to you that perhaps the reason there's no activity, perhaps the reason the situation is even worse than what it seen before is because God wants to work a complete and total victory. He wants to work a complete and total healing. He wants to work a complete and total miracle in your life. <laughs> Perhaps your situation looks like Jericho and is straightly shut up. Perhaps your situation or your circumstance looks like it's its most impossible to break through. Like the situation is one that simply leaves you standing on a hillside in your bare feet just wondering how. <laughs> but let me challenge you to look again. Let me challenge you this morning to see something new today. Take another look at the city. Take another look at the situation. Take another look at the problem. And this time see it through God's eyes. I want to remind you this morning too what's right beside you. You see, the captain of the Lord of hosts was next to Joshua. Now, Scripture only tells us at the end of chapter 5 that he suddenly saw him, but I don't believe that the angel just appeared in that moment. No, I believe there was an angel going with him the whole time. In fact, I believe that from that point on, that, that even though it may not have been seen, I believe that there were warring angels that went with the Israelites throughout that whole time, that every time they walked around the situation, every time they walked around the city, that there was angels going with them the whole time. And I believe in your life, I believe in your 
circumstance. I believe in your situation that there are angels walking beside you. And no, you may not be able to physically see them, but they are there. Psalms 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. That means he's all around me. That means there's angels surrounding me. That means even though I can't see it, I have to see something new. I have to understand that there's something happening that I may not know or understand and I might be confused but there's angels surrounding me in my life Psalms 91:11 says for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee not in some of thy ways but in all thy ways they shall bear thee up in their hands those times when you don't think you can make it through there's angels around about you and camped around about you bearing you up bearing you up lest you dash your foot against a stone and then of course in second kings the story and it says Elisha prayed and said lord i pray thee open his eyes That's what we need that he may see and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see I need to change what I'm seeing. I need to see what God sees and perhaps in my situation there doesn't seem to be any activity. There doesn't seem to be anything happening but if I could just look around in the mountains if I could just look around in the hills I might be surprised at the warring angels that surround me and what God is doing even though I don't understand and don't know right now and I'm confused right now God is still moving God is still working God is still doing something in my situation and in my circumstance oh let's give him praise right now oh come on God wants to encourage somebody today You're seeing a Jericho that's walled up. You're seeing a situation that has no hope. But God's telling you, you need to look again. You need to see what I'm doing. You need to see what surrounds you. You need to see what's holding you up today. Oh, I pray the Lord would help me to see. That he would help me to look on the city and see the victory that's already been purposed. It's already been purposed. But it's now about to be accomplished. As the music comes this morning. Something else, the last thing, for me anyway, the angel stated was that the victory was already in Joshua's hand. It was already in his hand. That implies the victory was already in his possession. (laughs) Everything that Joshua needed was already in his possession to accomplish the victory. And I would challenge you this morning... Quit looking at the city that's straightly shut up. Quit looking at the circumstance where it seems it's hopeless. Farther from God, whatever the circumstance may be. And I would challenge you not only to look around you and see what God is doing all around you, but look in your hand. (laughs) You see, the Israelites, they didn't have much. As far as material things, they had a tabernacle they would pack up and carry with them. They had a gym in the wilderness. They would set up chairs every week. At least we don't have to set up altars and candlesticks. (laughs) But they they, they didn't really, they, they had some skirmishes while they were in the wilderness, but they were just wandering. That just means they were walking. Every day, walking. They got manna and all, you know, all that stuff happening. 
That's all they had was they were really good walkers. How many of you ever seen the speed walkers in the Olympics? How many of you ever tried to attempt the way they walk? <laughs> no, they walk on their heels. Some, I don't know. All they could do was walk. How, how would you feel if your one skill was walking? Now, if you're a little kid, that's pretty good, but oh, I, I, I'll leave that there. Maybe some older too, but uh, all they could do was walk. And the angel says to Joshua, victory's in your hand. You've got everything you need to accomplish the victory. Let me ask you. Now, according to Joshua, I mean, that, I don't know what's going through his mind. Probably he's not assumed this. I doubt anyone else had ever figured out that they already had what they needed. Let me ask you this is a real deep question. What did God then tell the Israelites to do to accomplish their victory? He said, I want you to walk around the walls. I want you to do it six days, and on the seventh, I want you to do it seven times. Oh, we can do that. We're real good at walking. Do we have to pack up the tabernacle every time? Because we can do that too. It's set up team number six this week. He said, everything you need to win the battle, you already have. All you've got to be able to do is walk. Something that they were good at. How could I possess what I need for my victory? That's confusing to us, but you see, God has already formed the plan. He has already decided. And so, before you even knew you were going to have that problem, He was preparing you to possess what you would need for that victory. And it took a moment. It took God saying, you know what? I've been planning this all along. I've been planning this all out. But now it's time to execute. And all of a sudden, it all came together. It all came together in just a few moments. All we have to do is keep wandering and the battle is ours? Yes. Let me tell you, there's things in our life that look so tightly shut up. But let me tell you, just as much as the enemy has been working on one end, God has been working on the other. And I know that they got into the wilderness through their own fault and lack of faith and doubt and all this kind of stuff. I understand that. But I can see them laying stones on the one end and the other group just taking another step. Not realizing that as every step they took was bringing them closer to a victory in Jericho. They were building what they needed. For victory. God is doing that in your life. You, you may not see or understand. That's where Joshua was confused. Because he knew that God was true. That he was real. That he, he, he knew all that stuff. He knew not to be afraid. To be strong and of good courage. But he was still confused. And I, I would say that that's alright. It's okay. If I keep trusting God. And still I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Because I know just like Joshua. There's going to come a moment. When it all comes together. And some of you may have had those moments in your life. Where you say. Now I see what God was doing the whole time. Yeah he was doing it the whole time. When you had no clue. When you had no idea. And let me tell you. He didn't quit doing that. He's still doing that in your life. In fact he's building things in you right now. For circumstances and situations that you don't even know are going to arise but he is building something in you right now so that when the time comes you're going to possess what you need in your hand victory will already be yours in your hand
We read some stats Wednesday night about Marion County. I'm not going to read them all again, but it was just basically saying we live in an awful place. We live in a high, one of the highest rates for, for drug death. For, and I know statistics, you can get into how it's skewed and all this stuff. But these statistics were saying that we're in the, in the highest in the state of Illinois for drug deaths and for teen suicide and, and for abuse, child abuse and all these awful things. Awful things. And let me just say, when I read those stats, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Jericho. Man, it's shut up tight. There's people that are addicted to all kinds of stuff. There's people that are abused all over this community. There's people in abusive relationships right now. There's people suffering right now. It looks like it's shut up. (laughs) But I don't think it's any mistake that on the one hand, the enemy's trying to do everything that it can. And then God is also working in other people. He's working in people, let me just say, from all over. And he's brought you to this place. I don't have time for this, but just stand if you're not from Salem. I'll stand on first. Just stand if you're not from Salem. God's brought you here. (laughs) You're the other side. See, while the enemy's trying to do something in this community, God's doing something from the other side too. Not just you, but people in this community. God is working something. I look around and I see people that have been broken, that have been hurt, that have been through all kinds of situations. And you know what God did? He put you in a community that is bound up with brokenness. And he put you here. Victory is in our hand. Victory is in the hand of this community. God is placing things. God is putting things. It's no accident. And we may look and say, how in the world, God, could you do anything with this? And God is saying, I've given you victory in your hand. I've given you what you need. Healing is in this place. And this is what this community needs, is a healing from brokenness and hurt. And so he worked in your life wherever you were. And he brought you to this place Because this is what this community needs. Thank you as you're seated this morning. God has put a healing church in the middle of a broken community. Very quickly, notice that the victory was not immediate. Work still had to be done. (laughs) They still had to walk around the walls. They still had to do that. And I know it was a week later. That'd be nice if God always answered just within a week. But I think what it tells me very quickly is time does not define my victory. Doesn't define my victory. And this is a partial personal illustration. My dad grew up in a church in eastern Ohio, and I'm finishing with this. Not too much longer. He didn't have to text me. No, I'm joking. She didn't text me. My dad grew up in a church in eastern Ohio (laughs) a long time ago. And his pastor was Brother Rose. And Brother Rose, his his, uh, heritage goes back to Scotland. In fact, you know, a lot of people say, well, I've got family. There's an actual Rose castle. I mean, there is a castle that is his family's. I mean, that's, that's pretty Scottish when you have your own castle. Eastern Ohio, little Harrison Hills, little tiny towns in there, actually similar to this area, just a bunch of small towns. And Brother Rose, for years, for years would pray, Lord, send somebody to Scotland. Send somebody to Scotland. 
This is just how God works. <laughs> in the early 70s, right in the, well, right in 1970, so when my dad graduated high school and he left, he left that area. But it was right about that same time that Brother Rose started getting sick and he really wasn't able to pastor much anymore. Began to lose track of things. Didn't remember things. And he eventually died in somewhere 82, 83. So for years, this, this, the youngest of 12, he's just the last of the Kellys. You don't even pay attention to that one, right? Grew up, was born, grew up, was a teenager sitting on the pews under Brother Rose, listening to sermon after sermon, experiencing moves of God time and time again. And in the meantime, neither of them knowing, the one praying for Scotland, the other just coming to church and being faithful, never knowing what was taking place. Graduated in 1970, moved away. Brother Rose died in 82 and 83, not fully aware of everything. And it was in 1983 that that same boy who'd sat on those pews for 18 years was appointed as a missionary to Scotland. Brother Rose died never knowing the fulfillment of his prayer. But time does not define my victory. Now I want you to think about this. To me, it just brings it home. I know it's personal, but man, it just brings it home to me. That Brother Rose is praying the whole time. He's praying the whole time. And in his hand is victory. He doesn't realize that every message he's preaching, every sermon he's preaching is going to a young man. That young man didn't even know. But in his hand was victory. He didn't know what he was raising up. No clue. And was that his no God God hadn't revealed it at that point. But it illustrates to me, I don't even begin to understand what God is doing. Let me just say this. I don't even know what victory I have in my hand right now. You don't know the person that you've been praying for. That you, you, you know what? You may die and never see him saved. And one of these young people that you've encouraged, that you've witnessed to, that you've talked to, may be the one that preaches a message and they walk through those doors and receive the Holy Ghost. You don't know what victory you possess in your hand already. So that's why I've got to take care of everything God puts in my hand. I've got to treasure everything that God puts in my hand because He hasn't put it there by accident. He hasn't given me anything by accident. He hasn't given me my kids by accident, the people that I'm around by accident. He has placed me. He has purposed me. I know that He has a will that He is accomplishing and I may not know the exact moment when it's all going to come together, but I'm going to keep working for that victory. I'm going to keep doing everything I can so that one day when Jericho shows up on my doorstep, I realize God has been working. God has been moving. It's in my hand. I just need to use what God has been doing. I just need to use what God has given me. As we stand this morning, victory is in your hand today. God told Joshua that before he knew the battle plan. 
before he knew that we're just going to walk something that we're real good at. God told him the victory is in your hand. He said, quit looking at the city. Quit looking at the circumstance. Quit looking at everything that's so bound up so tight that nothing's coming out. Nothing's coming in. There's no movement. You need to take that movement, that, that lack of movement as God saying, it's already been won. I've already accomplished something. I'm working. You can still trust. You can still believe. And in fact... Maybe we need to start looking at our own hand. I know victory doesn't come from what we put there, but God places things in our hands. What do I possess right now? What do I need to take care of right now? Because I don't know what victories I already possess. <laughs> brother, brother Rose, I'm sorry, I'm going long. I was supposed to go short because it's snowing, but I figured, is it still snowing? I'd... I'd preach till the snow ends so you all can be safe going home brother rose didn't know when he prayed for someone to go to scotland he didn't know as a young man there was a young man sitting on his pews that would fulfill something that would lead to me getting the holy ghost in scotland and preaching to you in salem what victories do you possess in your hands what victories do you have in your hands God is reaching for us. God is calling. He wants to, he's asking us, what do you see this morning? Are you seeing Jericho? Is that all you can see? That everything's all shut up? Or maybe you can see the victory that you possess. Maybe you need to see, say, Lord, just like Elisha prayed for the young man. Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes to see what surrounds him. That you are not alone. That there's something fighting for you, greater than you, more powerful than you. And it surrounds you. There are angels encamped around about you every day. Maybe that's what you need to see today. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we come before you as people that know that you are in control. Lord, that you hold all power. Lord, but still sometimes that confusion, those things begin to set in. Lord, I pray that you would change our eyesight this morning, God. That you would change where we're looking today. That we would quit looking at the Jerichos, the situations in our life that seem so difficult, that seem so impossible, that seem like they go from bad to worse. And Lord, I pray two things. First, that you would open our eyes to see what surrounds us today. That we are surrounded by a heavenly host. That there's a cloud of witnesses looking down on us. Lord, that you have surrounded us with encouragement, with strength, with what we need to fight the battle. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look in our own hand, God. Lord, that you would help us to see that you have already given us what we possess. And Lord, that we need to begin to treasure those things. We need to begin to hold on, on to those things. That, Lord, you are preparing us right now, God. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I open this altar this morning. Perhaps you're looking at a Jericho in your life. I challenge you to come and simply pray this prayer. Don't, don't come and pray that God would deliver you this morning. Just simply come and pray, Lord, let me see what you're already doing. Lord, let me see what you have already done. Lord, let me see what you have already placed in my hand that I can conquer this situation, that I can make it through this trial. Lord, that I can get through this sickness because you have placed in my hand what I need. Oh, come on, this altar is open today for you to pray, for you to talk to God. Come on, if you stand in that place of confusion, you feel like you're barefoot looking over Jericho, maybe God can change your eyes this morning. Maybe He needs to tell you, see, I've already given you the victory. It's already in your hand. Hallelujah, Lord.